liminal history is the only history we know. We are a people that continuously are going from one revelation of humanity and equality to another. When we talk about liminal history, just think about the streets of our nation that are designed to catapult a people that have been oppressed for 400 years. And so it's the riots, it's the protests that unfortunately are the venues that are used to get the attention of mainstream society. And out of that comes results and transformation and new laws and new regulations and new decrees and new opportunities. That space of disruption. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi everyone. Welcome to the Betwixt podcast. I'm Deb Gregory. Today we talk with Dr. Barbara Peacock about her work as a spiritual director and her new book, Soul Care in African American Practice. In the first chapter of her book, there's a short vignette about African-American spiritual foundations and its origins on the continent of Africa. While this interview primarily looks at the ministry of soul care within African-American context, I wanted to begin this episode with this story of origins, because it's not often enough told and celebrated. Africans have played important roles in shaping Christian tradition long before the Atlantic slave trade. In fact, many of the bishops, priests, deacons, and lay leaders who defended ancient Christian doctrine and practice were North Africans. There was Tertullian, Clement, and Origen of Alexandria, Augustine of Hippo, and the saints Felicity and Perpetua, just to name a few. And of course, Athanasius, called the hammer wielded by God against heresy by his friends, and the black dwarf by his enemies. Unfortunately, their African heritage was whitewashed, quite literally, by European painters in the Middle Ages who depicted many of the church fathers as Caucasian. And because these North African leaders spoke Greek or Latin, they became known as the Greek or Latin fathers, despite their North African descent. Now, I want to be careful not to blend North African and West African heritage because they're quite distinct, even if there was a degree of cultural fluidity in antiquity. What I think is significant is the recognition that Christianity is not a white man's religion, nor is it a colonial export. Christianity is much older and it has deep roots in African soil. And when we talk about spiritual direction and soul care, these are traced back to the mothers and the fathers that fled to the North African desert in order to seek God. It was Abba Anthony, Ama Sarah, and Ama Syncletica, just to name a few, who served as the first spiritual guides for bishops, priests, and laity alike. These were the first curers of souls that ignited monastic expressions of Christian devotion for the next 1,500 years. And so, friends, it is impossible to speak of soul care or spiritual direction without acknowledging 
that the seed of this kind of ministry that is flourishing today took root in the North African desert. And it was African Christians among the diverse and globally expanding Christian movement who incubated and cultivated the ministry of soul care during the first few hundred years of Christianity and beyond. And so with this as a backdrop, I want to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Barbara Peacock. Hello. Hi, Dr. Peacock. How are you? Dr. Barbara is a preacher, a teacher, and a prayer warrior. Spiritual direction and soul care were the emphasis of her doctoral work, and it led to her book, Soul Care in African American Practice. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And let me tell you, I'm so delighted to share this conversation with you. I would love to hear a little bit about your own personal story. The Betwixt podcast, I talk a lot about the in-between spaces where big things happen to us, where change really happens. So I'm just wondering if, if there is a moment in your life that you would consider kind of like a threshold moment where you're between one thing and another, and it really changed the course of your life. Yes, that's a great question. I'm mindful of when I was working in full-time ministry for a local church here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I love serving in the faith community. Uh, My assignment was uh, minister of discipleship and prayer. We were about 10,000 members and very strong, powerful Baptist church with a non-denominational flavor. And in the summer of 2013, God woke me up one morning. His presence just drew me to my prayer room. And I was already like, okay, God, I'm ready to hear what you are going to say. And I sensed him saying three words. And he said, you must leave. I was like, what? I must leave. What does that mean? It's the end of June and we got a lot of stuff to do in the fall. I was like, okay, let's look at December. And I sensed the spirit saying no. And I was like, are you serious? And I was like, okay, surely the end of October because the prayer conference is in the middle of October and I love the prayer conference. And I sense God saying, no, 30 days. Wow. And I was like, 30 days? No way. How can I resign with this responsibility and be out of here in 30 days? And I was wrestling and I sensed God saying, remember a friend of mine. And she had just passed the 1st of June, and this was the end of June. Mm. And I could see her corpse in the casket. Mm. I wasn't trying to be a corpse. Mm. And he was like, remember her? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Okay. So I kind of sucked it up and started writing my letter of resignation. And so I was like, okay, so what do we do with this life now? Talk about betwixt and between and transitioning. What happens now? So I said, okay, I need to get a little organized and I'll start exercising. And I had been 
exercising. Like when I was in my 20s, I used to love to go to aerobics and I was so into aerobics. You remember back in the day, it was aerobics. And yes. all, we used to pump it out. I mean, we worked hard doing the leg lifts and all kinds of crazy stuff. I just and remember so, the leotards. Yes, like the purple <laughs> uh, leotards with the purple stockings. I mean, it was like crazy. <laughs> the, the things, what you call the leg warmers? Because yes. I was north, the leg warmers. <laughs> oh my God, that brings back memories. But back in the day, I was, I thought I was going to train to be an aerobics instructor. Okay. So here we are in Charlotte. We were members of the Y. So I would go to class and I would try to do the Zumba and I would be tired. And I said, well, maybe I'm not eating right. And maybe I have too much sugar in my diet. And so I just kept scaling back the class. And I said, I'll just spend more time in yoga and Pilates. And so one day I was in a Pilates class and we were doing what we call the Superman. When you're on your stomach, you're moving like Superman. And I felt like my heart was going to come out of my chest. I felt like I was having a heart attack. And I was like, this is not good. Mm. On October the 19th, 2013, just a few months after my resignation, I went to the doctor that day and the doctor sent me to the cardiologist. They put me in the cardiologist. He sent me straight to the hospital the third day. So I had the 19th, 20th, 21st of 2013. And then the fourth day was to talk to the surgeon. Okay. Wow, that escalated. It escalated. The surgeon said, you have to have surgery. So now it's the middle of October and Thanksgiving and Christmas are right around the corner. I said, can I wait until the first of the year? Because my family's coming for Christmas and I, and my grandson was just born in August. He said, if you wait until the first of the year, you're gonna have to almost do nothing. You're just gonna have to rest. Okay, so what they discovered was that I had a mitral valve prolapse. My valve was not operating properly, so my I was I wasn't getting even 50% of the blood flow to my body, and that's what made me tired. And so in January 2014, I had open heart surgery. So that was a transition, but God was there. God gave me another chance. And when I got that chance in 2014, I made a decision that whatever God was calling me to do, I would do. And it's after that that I pursued the publication of this book, Soul Care and African-American Practice. Okay. So that was an extremely disruptive time. Yes. Yes. How did you experience God's presence and how did it change you? I mean, there was so many places I experienced God's presence. And I remember when our daughter came to visit us over the holidays and the baby was in the little car seat. The, the little seat was sitting out there by the bottom of our steps and they were getting ready to go to the airport. And I remember leaning into that little baby's arms and weeping. His name is Elijah. For a 60-year-old woman to find comfort in a, a three to four month old baby was humbling. I love uh, a picture uh, that I studied in seminary by Catherine Brown. It's Jesus and the Lamb. It's Jesus holding the Lamb mm. in his arms. Even though that little baby couldn't 
reach back to me. It was like Jesus holding me in his arms. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. So it sounds like that had a big impact on even preparing you for writing this book. Absolutely. I knew I had to write it. Because at that time, I didn't know how much of life I would or would not have. So that was 2014 when I had the surgery. And I remember hearing the voices and the conversations of doctors next to me when I was in recovery. Even though I wasn't totally in my right mind, I was transitioning from surgery to a room. And it was just a curtain separating us. And I remember hearing the doctor say they didn't know if that person next to me was going to make it. I just began to pray for that person, even though I wasn't fully astute. And I just prayed, God, I said, God, please let that lady live. I just pray for her healing. And when we went to our rooms, that lady was on the same floor that I was on. And she ended up leaving the hospital before I did. I was like, oh, my God, because <laughs> she was up and walking. And I was like still in the bed, like, okay, when am I going to get up and walk? So after that year, a year later, I had a celebration of life, mm-hmm. like a year after surgery, because I didn't know how many years how long I would have on this journey. And I still don't know, but I live so many days like it's my last day. Wow. You know what strikes me? You know, as you're talking about that curtain drawn, you weren't even sure what you were hearing. Like to me, that feels like how I do prayer. (laughs) Rarely do I take the time just to sit and go to a prayer closet. I don't even have a prayer closet. But rarely am I listening enough to be even be able to hear God say something like 30 days or to hear enough of someone else's suffering to be able to pray for them. So as you're talking, it just really, really resonates in my soul, the significance of being able to kind of draw that curtain back in prayer, of being attentive. So I really appreciate that about who you are. And I feel like a lot of that really came through in the book, just this call to pay attention, to be still, to notice, to listen. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. This book is about soul care, and you also attach with it the idea of spiritual direction. These two terms uh, are not very common in the Protestant world right now. And I'm just wondering how those terms also resonate within the African-American community. When you use these terms, um, how do people respond with you? In the book, I basically use them synonymously because, as you know, spiritual direction or spiritual director is a person that sits with another person or group of people to help them better discern the activity and voice of God in their lives. And I found that the language of soul just resonates with people of color. Like we are soul people. We, you know, I don't know if you remember that song, I'm a soul man. Dun, 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 yes. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and and yeah. soul food. Soul food and Aretha Franklin, you know, the queen of soul and Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye mm-hmm. and the Supremes. I mean, we just are a soulful people full of soul. So I sense that the language of soul will connect with us. So it becomes a little bit intriguing, like what is this soul care? 
But in the book, I use soul care and spiritual direction mm-hmm. synonymously as that act that as a spiritual discipline. So as we look at the Protestant church, we know that it became spiritual direction became more prominent uh, over the past, I guess, 30 years. But it's still more prominent in the Euro-American church than it is the African-American church. Uh, initially, my goal was to help the spiritual community, uh, the contemplative community to understand that we as a people of color, we do have strong spiritual roots in direction and soul care. And we do practice contemplation and meditation. You may not call it that. And so I went on this uh, search to, to identify spiritual leaders that practice these disciplines, which normally would not get credit for like having Martin Luther King as a spiritual director to a nation or Rosa Parks, a woman of meditation and contemplation that changed the trajectory of a whole, both of them. I mean, come on, nobody identified them as these spiritual leaders. It kind of started with Martin Luther King. I had this aha moment when I was reading how he was a student of Gandhi and everybody knows that Gandhi is a contemplative. I said, so he's studying Gandhi. So he's a contemplative, even though Gandhi may be attributed to being a contemplative and Martin Luther King may not be attributed to being a contemplative, but if he's studying Gandhi, and he's practicing the Gandhi way, then he's practicing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of started with King. And then one day I was reading about Frederick Douglass. I don't even know if I had anything about direction on my mind. I was just reading. And I was like, wait a minute. Douglass yeah. learned to read from his master's wife through her repeating the passage over and over. Uh-huh. And I said, if that doesn't sound like Lexio Divina, I don't know what does. Wow, right. In it's just purest form, yeah. Repetition. Mm-hmm. So that's how he learned to read the Bible. She would just read the passage over and over. Mm-hmm. Repetition. Yes. Okay, and he meditated, memorized, ate it. Digested it. So it sounds like through this process of listening, as you do so well, and leaning in that you were discovering that the history of soul care in its purest form is actually quite rich and deep. What, what assumptions broke down as you kind of leaned into this way of understanding African-American soul care? Yeah, what really broke down because, you know, I'm reading books by Foster and Dallas Willard and and all of these uh, modern day Adele Calhoun. And I'm reading and I'm like, where is the information on African-American spiritual direction? Right. And so I was like, okay, so we need to have a voice in this community. We need to find a way to identify these disciplines that they're writing about. And so, as I shared earlier, I began to find the commonality, like a Rosa Parks and a King and a Carol Carter, who was a man of prayer. And his book was very explicitly about prayer. Hmm. But then when I went for my defense at Gordon Conwell, my professor said, well, when did this begin? When did the spirituality begin? Which was like a question that threw me. Oh, wow. And Deb, it was like I had a, a downpour from heaven. Okay. It was like I went into this person that I didn't even know. And I started talking about, imagine slaves being transported from the West Coast and sailing in the Middle Passage. And I'll, I'll read that part to you, if you don't mind. Yes, please do. 
So you're talking about from the West Coast of Africa to the Americas. To the Caribbeans, to South America, and then to the North America. Okay. And I quote Kellerman and Edwards in Beyond the Suffering. And I say, as Kellerman and Edwards visualized the transporting of slaves from Africa to America, they wrote, even while stowed like animals below deck, they saw the shining North Star of God with upturned eyes of faith looking out spiritual portals. Hmm. Then I write, while in chains, many slaves expressed great faith in God. The only one who could deliver them from such inhumane circumstances. Many were infected with ferocious diseases, including respiratory ailments and fevers that accompanied infection. Moans and groans penetrated the atmosphere as a result of pain, sickness, sorrow, and loss. No doctors were there to prescribe medications or apply appropriate salves. No preachers were there to perform eulogies. No food was there to fill hungry bellies in the midnight hour. During these challenging hours and days on slave ships, many Africana fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, and cousins were attentive toward each other's weary, tired, and wounded souls. Mm. This was the beginning of soul care in African-American practice. To me, this is so liminal, right? I mean, the middle passage as the space that births something so deep. You talk about it in your book. You say the middle passage is the African-American dark night of the soul. So I'm wondering, how does this sense of liminal history foster a sense of resilience and spiritual wisdom? Liminal history is the only history we know. We are a people that continuously are going from one revelation of humanity and equality to another. When we talk about liminal history, just think about the streets of our nation that are designed to catapult a people that have been oppressed for 400 years. And so it's the riots, it's the protests that unfortunately are the venues that are used to get the attention of mainstream society. Mm. And out of that comes results Mm -hmm. and transformation Mm -hmm. and new laws and new regulations and new decrees and new opportunities. Mm -hmm. That space of disruption, right? That space of disruption. I love the discipline of detachment and attachment. Okay. So the system now has to detach from the old way of doing things and prepare these new wineskins as a nation that can receive new wine for people. That's right. You can't put old wine. The old has passed away. Mm -hmm. It parallels with the gospel. 
If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creature. Mm-hmm. Old things have passed away. So we live a journey of rites of passage, mm-hmm. civil rights movement, mm-hmm. affirmative action, and now the George Floyd movement that's shaken the whole nation. Yes. But because of George Floyd's death, it's just like a Martin Luther King. It's just like a Rosa Parks. It's just like because of his death, this world and God used an unlikely one came in different clothing, not the one that we expected. Yeah. Who would have thought just like Jesus, who would have thought he was the king? He said, who do you say I am? Change maker. The unlikely one. Yeah, that's right. Let me read this quote from your book. You, you talk about suffering, and I think that this is a really important piece mm-hmm. that we need to hear today in the midst of all of the chaos of COVID and all of the protests that are happening right now. You say, within our suffering, God's love is particularly communicated and results in the sufferer having not only a greater awareness of one's true self— but also a deeper comprehension of God's love and his will. Deep within the vicissitudes, I don't know if I'm saying that right, deep within the vicissitudes (laughs) of pain and anguish and despair, persons of African descent hold onto this immeasurable love. Talk to me about the significance of finding God in suffering that is so rich within African-American spiritual wisdom. One of the scenes that comes to mind is in the movie Glory with Denzel Washington. And he was being whipped with a rope. And welts were covering his back and blood was oozing from his skin. And he just stood there and bore it. That character had to be undergirded with some kind of understanding that even though they were being treated like nothing, that they still mattered. Hmm. I think of Jesus on the cross, the 39 stripes to pierce. He knew that he mattered. He was the very essence of love. He is the very essence of love. And the scripture says love covers a multitude of sin. Uh, I have a picture of Rosa Parks a painting by Mr. Galman. He paints for the stars, but I was able to buy one painting from him. It portrays Rosa, Mrs. Parks, I like to call her. Yes. Being arrested and her fingerprint was being taken by the policeman. And she had a smile on her face. She had a contentment on the inside that says, No matter what you take from me, I know I did the right thing. And I have the joy of the Lord. Hmm. Uh, I love how Howard Thurman talks about it. Uh, I think the quote you were sharing was kind of coming from uh, St. John of the Cross. Mm -hmm. It's like when we get to the end of ourselves, when there's nothing else left. I don't know if you know the song. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else would help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. 
love lifted me. And I think about uh, George Floyd's brother, hmm. who's in D.C. today making requests for our government. How do you do that the day after your brother's funeral? How can you even like stand up to do it? And so St. John of the Cross talks about how this immensity of pain draws us to God. He's the only one that can really help us. And Howard Thurman says, without suffering, there is no freedom. There's no freedom. Wow. Yeah. I love that. That's right. Okay, friends, let's take a quick break so I can introduce you to one of my partners in the Missio Alliance Podcast Collective. This is Steve Cuss, and I host the Managing Leadership Anxiety Podcast right here on the Missio Alliance channel. Every faith leader I know carries a lot of pressure and chronic anxiety, and I think we're finding it harder and harder to experience deep, soul-renewing rest nowadays. The focus of my work is to help you notice, name, and move through sources of anxiety that are common to all faith leaders. I'm a pastor who used to be a trauma chaplain, and I was trained in family systems theory. So my show focuses not only on your anxiety, but also how anxiety operates in a group or a system. On most episodes, I feature a guest and we chat about their vocation and their leadership pressures they face. Previous guests include Brenda Salter-McNeil, Max Licato, Makoto Fujimura, Nancy Ortberg, Kay Warren, Chuck DeGroote. Once in a while, I'll use an episode to share from the Family Systems Theory Toolbox to help you manage the pressures you face. The podcast is simply designed to equip you to name and notice triggers and pressures in you and in those you lead. You can find episodes right on the Missio Alliance website or wherever you get your podcasts. You talk about Mrs. Rosa Parks, and um, I I really liked your chapter on her. It, it really stirred some wonderful thoughts for me. Uh, so she's often described as the mother of the civil rights movement, but you notice that her social action was rooted in her contemplative action. So I'm curious, what's the difference between the two, and how do they intersect? How, how did you see that exemplified in the way she engaged social action. What was that contemplative piece? Well, so often we use the words meditation and contemplation to kind of mean the same thing. You know, I meditate, I contemplate, I think about it, I chew on it, I digest it. I think in Lexio Divina, that contemplation is the actual digestion of the meditations of the meditation. I'm going to chew on it like the cow chews on the cut. I'm going to, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to ruminate, Mm. but then I go and I'm going to digest it. And I think that's a beautiful process of spiritual disciplines. But uh, when we think of Therese, Teresa of Avila, She talks about the chambers of the soul, the chambers of the heart, Hmm. and how many of us don't get to that seventh or higher dimension. We kind of mull around that three and four, and we're just kind of content there. So not going to that deeper place. We go into that deep, the deeper chambers. Deeper chambers, okay. And so 
when we meditate, we know we can have an object or a word that we're focusing on. And as I said in the Lexia, we digest it. But to get to that place of just putting aside everything with no agenda, mm. just coming, mm. being. And if we could even eliminate those words, like if it's like a, a vanish point, like poof, and just <laughs> just resting in the presence of the Lord. To, that's that, to me, that's that deeper chamber. That's that... Mm deeper level of contemplation. And so Rosa Parks, she sat there and she said nothing. So to me, that meant that she came with this undergirding of meditation and contemplation. Mm. And with the arrest, there was this assurance that I'm good. So she, she like entered that intimate space of love, the intimate space of presence the intimate space of being Mm, from that real shalom depth in her soul yes and how beautiful is it for us to abide in that Mm. that's what I loved about the first part of the pandemic it's like this unmeasurable stillness in the atmosphere and I believe even in the spirit realm Mm. And it was like this exhale of the nation of the world. And it was like this breathing and, and, and places that were usually inundated with fog and pollution, they were being cleared away in their atmosphere, in their, in their environment. And we were a little antsy, but I could imagine God is saying, I got you just where I want you. I want you to be still and to know that I am God. And then after we get past that, then we have this like a whole nother experience mm. and then the streets are filled and, and places that have haven't been filled in a lifetime mm. the people of streets of souls yeah yeah what do you say in your book you talk about the quiet place and you call that quiet place consecrated intentionality and it's almost as if that consecrated intentionality can spark revolution yes it can change a world even in death, the transition of George Floyd. Mm. I can't breathe. Calling for his mother and then death. That changed the trajectory of our world and nothing in the world would ever be the same because of death. Mm. When Jesus was on the cross, Father, into thy hand, I commend my spirit, death. No salvation without death. That's right. It's the heart of the Christian message that from death, new life begins, right? Something new happens in that liminal space when the old is gone. And I like to call it resurrection power. Okay. (laughs) The resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of us. The resurrection power that moved that stone away. The resurrection power that gives us the ability to lay hands on people. The resurrection power that transforms us, uh, this metamorphosis. Mm. And the resurrection power of a nation. It's just the character of God. Yes. That the death and then the new life. Yes, that's right. Um, I want to talk about Howard Thurman. 
Yes, that's one of your flavors, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was discerning making a vocational shift into spiritual direction, I actually didn't know any spiritual directors. I knew one, uh, my own spiritual director, who I met with by distance. So it was hard for me to imagine what a spiritual director looks like. But I knew this. I knew that a spiritual director at the core is a liminal guide, someone who is able to step into the middle spaces with others in an unanxious way to help them move through transition and um, through their suffering. And at that time, I was reading about Howard Thurman. It was not only his writings, but also the way that he engaged with Dr. Martin Luther King in his most liminal times when he was in the hospital and how he came and sat with him and the rich wisdom and unanxious presence and the way that he talked about suffering, all those things, I thought, okay, now I have a picture of a liminal guide. Like, if I can do it the way he did it, I think I can do this, <laughs> maybe. But at least I have a picture in my mind of what I think that this is supposed to look like. So I was very happy to see um, him, of course, in your book. But, you know, he does talk about suffering and freedom and how freedom and suffering go hand in hand. This is a quote that you put in the book. When people are under siege, they uncover the bottomless resourcefulness that ultimately enables them to transform the spear of frustration into a shaft of light. I would like to hear how you take that concept into where we are today. What is the shaft of light that guides us forward? There's only one light. <laughs> it's the same light that the slaves saw on this ship through that portal. Through the portal. Mm -hmm. They could see the sky, the North Star that gave them hope. Harriet Tubman, too. Yes, Harriet Tubman. Follow that star. Follow the light. Follow the North Star. Follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because no matter how dark the night may be, there's still light. No matter how dark our society may appear, He's still Lord. He is our hope. He is our light. He is the light that lives in us. He is the light of the world. So no matter how dim it may appear or how things don't make sense, He's still in the midst of the chaos as the Spirit hovered over the face of the earth was just chaos. Mm. And God said, let there be light. So I say to our nation, to the world, let there be light. Jesus, the light of the world. And to keep hope alive, no matter how dark it gets, he is faithful. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the mountains are above the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts. So at the end of the day, we can't figure it out. But we must know that he's in control. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is El Elyon. He's the most high God. He's Jehovah Sabaoth, the host of this whole world. He's Elohim, the creator. He's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. 
and he is shalom. Hmm. The Lord our peace. It's a beautiful word. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to share about liminality or even just a word for us as we journey forward towards the North Star? Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for the better day. Pray for the resurrection. Pray for the revival Mm. and the awakening. Mm -hmm. Because I believe we are definitely on the brink of a great awakening. I think we've had one. We just didn't realize it. I know a lot of people don't see eye to eye on the the protests. Mm. But you couldn't have thumped it. Yeah. And seeing black and white and Jew and Gentile and Muslim and Hindu and rich and old and just everything and everyone. And I was thinking like, wow, why don't we just get up there with the microphone and say, Jesus loves you, Jesus saves. And have all these thousands of souls come to the Lord. And it's not over. Maybe that will come. Mm -hmm. But I believe there's a piercing and, and a transformation of the heart that is taking place. That's right. Yes, we, we can't imagine what is tomorrow, but we know that something is changing and we are in that that shifting time. And for us to walk well with our lamps lit, with our curtain pulled back, ready to be still and pray. Have some oil in those lamps. Yes. Your lamp trimmed. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate all of your heart and your wisdom and your leadership. So thank you for taking the time. God bless you and thank you for this time. And God is doing a new thing. Yeah, I'm glad to be part of that with you. I don't see myself getting up too soon. I tarry in the spirit till I'm in that upper room. See them cloven tongues of fire got me speaking in your dialect. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Betwixt Podcast. You can find more Betwixt episodes and view our show notes at betwixtpodcast.com or you can visit my partners at missioalliance.org. Missio Alliance is resourcing a church reimagined for a world recreated. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and given Betwixt a positive review on iTunes or Google Play. If you haven't done that yet, please consider taking a minute to help me out. This really is the fuel of podcasts, and it makes a big difference. Special thanks to Taylor Gray for his song Closer that you hear now. You can find a link to his music in the show notes of this episode. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to produce this podcast for you. Thank you for holding liminal space with me today. Catch you next time. Taking black lives matter to the slums With an open Bible show them what we can become I'm reading Paul's letters and some Stokely Carmichael The mirror is my beauty in my own arts rival Look, if you ever see me locking arms at marches Best believe that I've been spending time up in Mark 6 Walking on the waters when he calls It's so many rivers to the cross I'm coming up On the rough side I'm doing my best <laughs>